Once upon a time, there was a little boy who lived in a far away land, and close to his home, there was a tall mountain. And on top of that mountain, there was a monastery, an ancient monastery where ancient monks lived. And sometimes when this little boy was riding his bike around, he would look up at that monastery and, and wonder what they did there. And, and then one time this wind came blowing off the mountain and the boy heard this strange noise and he wanted so bad to know what that was, what that noise was coming from. And so he made himself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He got on his bike and he rode up to this monastery. It took him hours, but he finally made it there. He bravely pounded on this giant door and a monk opened the door and he said, uh, Mr. Monk, I heard a strange noise coming from the monastery. Will you tell me what it is? And the monk said, I'm sorry, I can't tell you, you aren't a monk. Well, this happened again and again for years. And every time the wind would blow down the mountain, the boy would, would go up and he would pound on the door and he'd ask. And every time the monk would open the door and he'd say, I'm sorry, I can't tell you, you're not a monk. So finally the boy said, well, can I become a monk? And the head monk said, of course you can. It's really easy. Just travel around the earth, uh, count all of the blades of grass in every field, count all of the grains of sand on every beach. When you have that number, you come back to me and you'll become a monk. Years go by. The boy dedicates his life to this. And he finally comes back and he bangs on the door and the monk opens the door and he says, I've done it. I have the answer. And he told him the answer to how many blades of grass and grains of sand there were. And so he became a monk. Now at last, he was going to be able to find out what was the source of that strange sound that was blowing down the mountain. And so he asked the monk, he said, please, now I'm a monk, will you tell me what is the source of that strange noise? And the head monk said, it's, it's hard to describe. It's better if you go see it for yourself. So he gave him a key and instructed him to go down to the deepest, darkest corner in the coldest, dampest room underneath the monastery. And he said, through that door is the thing making that noise. Well, the old man, now old man went immediately and he went down and he found this room and, and he put the key into the lock and he turned it and he pushed the door open and he stepped inside. He was shocked and he was amazed as he finally realized the answer. And you'll never guess what it was. Do you know what it was? Do you want to know what it was? I'm sorry, I can't tell you. You're not a monk. Now, hopefully you experience at least a little bit of frustration that you're not getting the answer. Uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, you've, you've got a little bit of that feeling of that dissatisfaction of, of this, this need has been created, this desire has been created, and now all of a sudden, I can't tell you. If you're feeling that, you feel a little bit of a taste of what John felt there in the throne room as he sees the one on the throne holding this scroll. He wants to know, he, ha he has to know what's in it. And the angel calls out and says, who can open this scroll? And they look everywhere. 
And they cannot find someone who can open the scroll. And so John is there. And in this moment, that need is, is unmet. He, he's probably frustrated. He begins to become sad. And then he even begins to weep because this need is going unmet. There's nobody there who can open the scroll. And I want to ask today, what's the scroll in your life? <clears throat> what need is it that you want met so badly that you would spend your life, you would dedicate your life going after it, trying to find it, trying to have this need met. Is it your marriage? Something with your kids? Something with your parents? Maybe you're just looking for, for rest, maybe respect, affirmation. But what is the scroll in your life? John has a scroll. He has this longing that he, he desperately wants to see met. What is in the scroll? What, what's going to happen when the seals are broken? What's going to happen when the words are read? He has to know. And so they look everywhere for someone who can meet that need and open the scroll. And finally, finally, he realizes that he has a need that only Jesus can meet. Okay, now I'm going to save us some time. Uh, if you were here on Thursday, we took longer to get here, but I'm going to save you guys some time. And I'm going to tell you right out that only Jesus is worthy to meet John's need. And I want you to know that only Jesus is worthy to meet your need. Only Jesus is worthy. Now, initially, that might not make sense. Initially, that might not make sense. You might be thinking, well, um, I was hungry this morning. Jesus didn't make me breakfast. I did. Or you might be thinking, well, Jesus didn't start the car to get me here. I put the key, turned it, things went into motion, and I drove here. Well, Jesus didn't sign my paycheck. My boss did. And so, so that might not initially make sense. So I want to explain what I mean when I say that Jesus alone is worthy to meet your need. We need to dig in a little bit on what it means to be worthy. There are two meanings that we're going to look at. The first meaning, the first meaning, and we have to, to, to recognize this first meaning. The first meaning of someone being worthy is that they are up to the task. Someone who is worthy is up to the task. So years ago in St. Louis, um, I had the bright idea to get a gym membership. And I went to the gym and, and I sat down with the guy who's filling out the paperwork. And uh, he looks at me, you know, puts his big old arms on the table and he says, okay, so what are your, what are your workout goals? And I looked at him and I said, well, let me tell you, if you know me, you, you have an idea what's coming. Uh, I said, listen, there's this really long flight of stairs at my school. And right now when I get to the top, I'm winded. And I don't want to be winded when I get to the top. This, this big old guy looks at me and his jaw drops and he says, I can't put that on here. <laughs> he said, I'm just going to make something up, okay? I'm like, yeah, whatever you need to do. Because I was not worthy of that gym. I was not up to the task of, of putting in all the time and the effort and, and gaining muscle mass at this gym. I was not worthy. I was not up to the task. Now, we actually think about this often. We, we do this all the time, thinking about whether somebody's worthy or not. Before you hire someone to design a logo or, or you trust them to manage your finances or even to make you food, you're thinking to yourself, are you worthy for this task? Are you up to the task? Or are you going to give me food poisoning? What's going to happen here? So we think about this all the time. And what we see in verse 5 is that only Jesus is up to the task. 
Do you see that? One of the elders said, weep no more. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Only Jesus is up to the task. Why? There are a few reasons. One is that everything else is insufficient. Right? If you eat enough food, uh, it'll harm you. If you watch enough TV, it will bore you. If you meet enough people, you will catch COVID, probably. Don't worry about that. Everything else is insufficient. Okay? Everything else is also temporary. Right? Things happen with jobs. Things happen with family. Things happen with emotions. Things happen with health. Things happen with vacations. Everything else is temporary. And then the third reason that only Jesus is sufficient is that everything else is provided. Do you remember what we read just a minute ago in chapter 4, verse 11? The song that the elders sang, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for what you created. What did he create? All things. And by your will, they what? existed and were created. Everything that you have, every good thing that you have is provided. James tells us this, that that every good thing is a gift from our Father above. The psalmists say this, that, that it is the Lord who satisfies all living things. Every good thing that you have is provided. So no, Jesus didn't make you breakfast. That's true. Uh, But he put you in a time where you can put that ego, you know, in your toaster without you having to grow the wheat, milk the cow, get an egg from the chicken, put it all together, right? Do you see what I'm saying? And Jesus created a world in which all of these things are possible. Have you ever wondered why the the molecules in the, the pew you're sitting in don't just come apart? It's because by Jesus They continue to exist. He upholds the natural law that keeps these things together. Chesterton says every every day a a daisy pops up and and it opens and unfolds the same way. It's because every time that happens, Jesus is looking at it and saying, do it again. Do it again. That's the, the technical word for that is providence. Every good thing is provided. Every good thing is provided. And so only Jesus is enough to meet our needs. Everything else is insufficient. It is temporary and it is provided. Only Jesus is enough to meet our needs. Okay, so that's the first part of worthiness. Jesus is up to the task. He is up to the task and he is the only one who is up to the task. The the second part of worthiness, the second part of worthiness is that when there is someone who is worthy, then there is a response that needs to happen. There is the characteristic about this thing, this thing being worthy, means that it deserves a response from other things. We would call that worship. So if you read on in verses 9 through 14, and Patsy read some of that, and, and we'll finish the rest of it a little later. If you read on, what you see is, is all of these living creatures, all of creation begins to respond to Jesus. As Jesus comes and he is shown to be worthy, all of creation begins to respond because he deserves that worship. He deserves their response to begin to say why he is worthy and to begin to talk about why he is worthy and sing about why he is worthy because 
that second aspect of worthiness means that's the right response. That's the right thing to do. And we see that part of, part of what Jesus is doing is providing himself even when those other needs are unmet. And we see that in verses 5 through 7. I mean, remember, remember how what we're doing in Revelation is looking at the imagery. Look at the imagery of who Jesus is and how he is providing himself even for unmet needs. In verses 5 through 7, he's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. That comes from Genesis 49. He is the one who rules creation. He is the root of David. That comes from Isaiah 11, meaning he is the one with wisdom and knowledge. He is the lamb who was slain. So he is the lamb who comforts its people, but also in the Passover. And then later on in John 1, we see that he's the one who takes away the sins of the people. And then he has seven horns, which means complete power and authority. Seven eyes, which means complete sight. He sees everything. Seven spirits, meaning he gives the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, how does this show, one, that Jesus is enough, but two, how does this show that Jesus deserves my worship, that he deserves that response from me? It's very simple, actually, if you look at the image. When life is crazy, I need a lion who rules. When I don't know what to believe or, or I don't know, don't know uh, uh, what to do, I need the root of David who has all wisdom and all knowledge. When I am, am depressed, when I am low, I need the lamb who will comfort me. And when I know that I'm guilty, I need the lamb who died in my place. When I am powerless, I need the one with seven horns who has all power. When I feel unnoticed, I need the one who has seven eyes, who is all seeing. And when I am empty, I need the one with seven spirits who fills us with the Holy Spirit. The only thing that makes sense with who Jesus is, is to respond to him in worship, to worship the provider, not the provided thing, to worship the one who, who gives not only the good things we have, but gives himself. I mean, you can think about it this way. So just this last week, Anna was cleaning something and she pulled down a jar and then she pulled down some craft supplies and, and my middle child, Lena, sees that and she says, mama, I need, I need those things. And so uh, Anna's, you know, so kind and, and accommodating. She said, okay, well, here, here you go. Here's a glass jar, five-year-old. Let's see what you do. Well, Lena puts together her jar, which she has named Spice because it's an old uh, pasta sauce jar, and it smells like the, that, the spice in the, in the sauce. And she will sit there, and she will smell it, and she will hug it, and she will kiss it, and she will talk about it, and she will say, do you like my jar? Do you want to smell my jar? Daddy, mommy, kiss my jar. Can you see this thing? And then at night, she will put it on the little shelf by her bed, and she will sleep next to her jar if we don't catch her trying to sleep with her jar. Now, here's the thing. I understand she loves her jar, but don't worship the jar. Don't worship the jar. Right? We do this all the time, don't we? We have jars in our lives and we're worshiping the jar. Don't worship the jar. You, you can love it. You can care for it. You can be thankful for it. Worship the one who provided the jar. Worship the one who, who knit you together and, and, and gave you that ability to put this stuff together in a way that is pleasing to you and to others. Right? Don't 
worship the jar. It's not the right response to the jar. What's the jar that you have in your life? What's the thing that, that you keep responding to and you keep worshiping and you keep, you keep going back to it? Don't you love my jar? And Jesus is there saying, don't do that. I gave you that jar. I, I, I put all that together. I, I gave that for you. Don't worship the jar. Worship the one who gave it to you. Worship the one who gave himself so you could have it. Worship Jesus. It is the only right response is to worship Jesus. And so we use our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our, our bodies, and we do what all of creation does when they recognize that Jesus is worthy. And we begin to worship him. And, and you can even use your, your posture. And I know we're Presbyterian and our hands like to stay right here. But you know what? You could try this sometime when, a, when we're singing, whether it's a, a praise song or a hymn, you can just be real low-key if you want, and you can just kind of do this. <laughs> and in your heart, you can say, Jesus, it's all yours. Everything I have was given. You are the provider. This is all yours. Jesus, I worship you. You are the only one who is worthy. And you can just try it sometime. I'm not going to turn around and look. They'll see you, but they're going to be happy about it. Right? Worship Jesus, even when you don't feel like it. Worship Jesus, even when things are hard. Worship Jesus, even when you lose your job or you lose your friend or you lose your family. Worship Jesus, even when the world is upside down. Worship Jesus, even if no one respects you. And worship Jesus, even when you would rather be somewhere else. Why? Because none of the other things that we are tempted to worship went to the cross for you. None of the other things that we are tempted to worship will raise you from the dead, which means none of those other things, no matter how good, are worthy of our worship. The one who is worthy is the lion who rules though we are powerless, the root of David who has all wisdom when we don't know, the lamb who comforts us, who gave his life for us so that he could bring us under his loving care. So when you find your scroll, Whatever that is, when you identify it, we've all got them. When you identify that, don't worship the jar. Worship Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the only one who is worthy. And you are worthy. Jesus, we take you for granted so often. That every good thing we have comes from you, and you will outlast all of the good things. Jesus, only you are enough. Only you are sufficient to provide for our ultimate needs. And Lord, we know that you provided for our greatest need. When you went to the cross and you overcame sin and death. So Jesus, we worship you, we put our hope in you, and we praise you. And it is in your precious name we pray. Amen.